Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I'm also the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I'm so glad that you're here today. This is a space that you're going to hear a lot of stories about recovery, addiction, men and women that have suffered from anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, trauma. We're going to have professionals on here as well. So I hope that it's not just this show that you listen to, but you go back and listen to the many other shows and the many other stories. And please subscribe and pass it on to somebody that you know that might be struggling and feel like they're alone. None of us are alone on this broken road to mental health. And I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am uh, a day post hurricane when we are recording this. So a lot of gratitude for our safety and our family safety and not a, a lot of love and support out to our friends in Fort Myers and Sarasota. Not everybody is uh, doing the happy dance today. So I want to be respectful of that, but make sure that I address it. So um, thank you uh, for being here today to listen and watch the show. I have a very special guest. Her name is Valerie Walsh. She's the author of the memoir, Shattered to the Core. Um, we share a common bond. We're both sober sisters, so um, we don't have to be related to be sober. It's just, you know, we already know. It's like, I'm sober, you're sober? Great. Perfect. <laughs> we'll have a great conversation. So Valerie, welcome to the show. Hi, Sharon. Thank you. I want to say I'm glad you guys are safe. I just, you know, I, I was watching a little bit on the news today and I have friends that are in Sarasota as well. So I want to send my love out to them and I'm glad you and your family are safe and hopefully your listeners are as well. Yeah. Say, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You know, I always say, check on your strong friends, the ones that say they're okay. They're probably not. It's a traumatic event to go through a hurricane. If you've never been through one before. Yeah. So um, we will feel the uh, effects of that for a little while longer, but I'm really happy to have this conversation with you, Valerie. I had mentioned before we press record today that um, as a suicide survivor and somebody who's struggled so deeply with depression, um, I get asked a lot of questions from the families that are left behind and you um, tragically lost your mother. And I'm very sorry for the loss of your mom to suicide to anything. Um, but, I, and I always say, it's just such a different experience. I haven't had that experience, but all I hear is, I don't know what to say to my friend who lost their son or their brother or their mother say something, damn it. So, um, yeah, say something, do something. <laughs> so Valerie, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you made that strong, hard, vulnerable decision to write this memoir and, um, how we can all learn from your story. So, uh, okay. So I didn't, when my mom died by suicide and I want to like address that language right there, because I actually learned from a suicide survivor the language that we use is important. Yep. So I'll get to that in a minute, but why I say die by suicide versus committed yeah. and how I learned that personally. So in 2013, my mom died by suicide. Um, she was a woman who, you know, struggled her whole life, as long as I knew her, with mm -hmm. addiction issues and depression and just you know, she was the queen of everything's fine. Everything's fine. You talk about, you know, don't forget to check on your strong friends. Like anybody who was blessed to know my mom would describe her as a hard worker, compassionate, empathetic. They would have never known what she was struggling with, you know, by being silent 
so anyhow, flash forward to 2013, when we learned that my mom had passed away, it wasn't like it was, we were blown away by it. I know it's so complex that everybody has a different story where some can say, you know, we had no idea. We knew, you know, there were, there were some, some signs before. And I think a suicide attempt, you know, when I was very young that I learned about later on. So after we lost her, I had um, a, a very serious uh, health struggle. They found, I'm a thyroid cancer survivor, but then in my early forties, when I went for my mammogram, I also have to have an ultrasound because I have, you know, dense little itty bitty breast mm-hmm. tissue and <laughs> no longer breast here. But at the time I had these little itty bitty titties, excuse my language, but I have a little bit of sense of humor too, Sharon. Well, there's, so, I'm from New York, so okay, we're good. good, good. Yeah. <laughs> we can drop whatever bomb we need to here. So my little itty titties had this, um, this um, lobular carcinoma in situ. It's basically mm-hmm. a red flag for being susceptible to breast cancer. So I made the decision, like I already knew, like for me, because I, I was a thyroid cancer survivor, I'm like, I'm not going to be okay with this. I knew I'd be okay physically, but mentally I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like I want the quickest decision possible to make sure I can get on the other side of this and just move forward. I was in complete survival mode, right? Mm-hmm. So I made the decision and I don't regret it, but I made a very quick decision to have a double mastectomy with reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Like three months after losing my mom. Hmm. So all of this stuff was just happening, right? And I started journaling, like journaling on paper, in my phone, like it became very, at first it was just taking notes that I knew that I wanted to remember if God forbid another woman had to go through what I was going through, I wanted to be able to reflect back and be like, okay, this is what the doctor's appointments were look, would look like. This is what my experience was, because, you know, you forget those details. So I wanted to put it somewhere. And then what was happening was I started writing more about the feelings of the angst of missing my mom. Mm. And I had no intentions of writing a book. So all of this was 2013, 2014. A year goes by, I heal from my mastectomy. I go back to, you know, like, okay, I just want like to return to the way it was. So what did I start doing again? Drinking. So I was, you know, the perfect mom in my head. I'm not saying, I'm not saying for real people in my head. (laughs) In case the kids are listening. (laughs) Listen, no such thing as a perfect mom. But in my head, in my story, in my head, um, I was still doing all the things I was supposed to do. I became, you know, right back to, mom role, right back to wife role, working hard, playing hard on the weekends, you know, all of that, right? So, in th- and that lasted from about 2015 to 2017. And then in 2017, I had my aha moment of, all right, something's got to change here. Like, why can't I go back to feeling peaceful? Like I was, I was living every single day with that pit in my stomach. And I always, and I'm glad you're recording this show because when I talk about this, I always like point to the center of my chest cavity because if anybody's physically ever experienced anxiety and depression, although I know it's complex and different for everybody, if you can relate to what I'm feeling or what I felt then, it was that angst, that icky yeah. angst, doom feeling. I was feeling on an everyday basis and it was made worse if I drank the night before. So I think for me, the trauma of losing my mom to suicide coupled with my own alcoholism 
just was a recipe for disaster. Like physiologically, I was having, you know, um, a response to that. So I decided to get sober and um, I joined a recovery program. And it's through that, that I took like, you know, I was starting to heal and I, and it was during the pandemic in 2020 to circle back to how that looked. I had all of these notes in this journal and I had perspective. Right. And I was like, I think I could have, I think I could, you know, have something here. Mm. I think we need to, you know, tell this story because by not talking about my mother's suicide, which is still the, the space that my family was in, in 2020. Mm. So from 2013, seven years later in 2020, when I decided to actually formulate that, the, you know, the pieces for my journal into a manuscript and then send it to a copy editor, you know, for those of you in the literary world, you know, kind of the next steps. When I was taking those next steps to put this manuscript into a copy editor, um, I still hadn't talked to my family about how my mom died. And that's when I knew like, okay, we can't do this anymore. And that that's how that happened. Like I, I finally, when the copy editor came back, she goes, you have something here, but what I would really encourage you to do is interview family members about who your mom was. Like oh, wow. when, you, when, when you were a young girl and my mm. mom was 18 when she had my sister, she mm. was 19 when she had me. So I had vague memories of when I was a young girl, when, when she was only 20 something, who she was. Mm. So when my, when my, when I was given that like idea to interview a family member, I went to my aunt, my aunt Donna, my mother's sister. And it was the first time, the first time we sat down and talked about, okay, what was mom like? Like, what was she struggling with? And I remember driving home from her house and having this feeling of adrenaline, like mm. I can understand her. Like, I just want to hug her right now. I totally get it. I get mm. it because I felt that way. And I felt like, okay, you're going to turn your pain into a purpose. You have your mother's blessing. You need to talk about this because she was the queen of fine. And, mm. and she went down a rabbit hole that unfortunately for her didn't end well. Her suicide was the final symptom of her depression, unfortunately. And that's why we say die by suicide versus commit because it's an illness, it's a mental illness. And we would never say somebody committed cancer, nor would we say somebody committed suicide. Right, you know, I'm so glad you brought up that distinction and thank you for sharing that. Um, I too, as somebody, I, I, I'm a rebel, at, you know, by nature, cause I'm, well, I'm a drug addict, okay? People like, it doesn't really go away. Like I just I have always have this rebellious nature. I'm my own boss, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And I remember the first time I said committed suicide in a public setting and somebody pulled me aside very gently and told me the reasoning why. And my first response was, but it was me. So can I say what it was? And then I realized how true that statement was, how, you know, it's like, sounds like murder, you know, it sounds so terrible and it's already bad enough to deal with. So our language is so appropriate. And I've, you know, like yourself, probably bringing, I've brought so many people to the side and said, we don't, we don't say committed suicide, but right. Right. Ooh, right. I didn't know. Know. right. I had it written oh. all throughout the manuscript. Right. Right. You had to edit that whole thing out. Oh my God. So, um, so let me ask you, I know, well, I don't know how difficult it, it is or was, I won't pretend to, but I do only know how it felt for myself. And I've shared this many times, 
on this show and with many people that as morbid as it might sound, when I do hear of somebody completing suicide, I feel a, the first thing I feel is peace for them. Um, because if you have ever been in a state where you see no other out, that was my life for a while. So I have felt that. I know today, of course, being a survivor and knowing how many resources and how much help is out there, that doesn't have to be the end of the depression, as you mentioned, but I know what a torturous struggle it can be and how wonderful that you were able to talk to family members. Can I assume that it didn't all go well? Actually, I have to say I'm blessed enough that it has. Good. Because for me, I know, I mean, I'm sure there's like the extended family and the haters out there or whatever, but that's okay. Like everyone has a right to feel what they feel and they've been at least respectful. Like those, you know, are family members that I'm not super, super close with anyhow, but there's a level of respect there that, you know, we just don't talk about it and that's okay. The people that mm -hmm. it mattered to me were, of course, my husband, my kids, you know, my kids mm -hmm. at the time when the book came out. Um, my daughter was is was in college. My son was still in high school and our local high school was going to carry the book. Like, you know, it's just, so that's where mm -hmm. I said, okay, if I have their permission, you know, great. The next level was my sister because there were specific things in there I wrote about that involved her. And mm -hmm. I, of course, sent, you know, that to her. I'm like, you say, you know, take it out. It's out, like no questions asked. Mm -hmm. And then my mom's, my mom's sister, my aunt, like, Honestly, like those six people, five, you know, five or six people, that was it. And then after that, the chips were going to fall where they fell. And, you know, I have. Have you heard about the effective treatment for major depression, anxiety, OCD, and beyond? Well, our sponsors, TMS Advantage, are available to offer this innovative and effective Neurostar Advanced TMS therapy. TMS is short for transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's effective. It's safe. It's non-invasive and FDA cleared, which means most insurance companies cover it. Dr. Katie Rizzo and her staff right here in Tampa Bay have a program that includes a full course of TMS, maintenance sessions, follow-ups, weekly group therapy with yoga and nutrition classes and lifestyle coaching to maximize the benefits for TMS for long-term results. Because you know it's never just going to be one thing that helps. It's going to be a multitude of resources. Check out tmsadvantage.com for more information today and mention you heard it on the podcast. Drug and alcohol attorneys specialize in helping families and individuals in crisis due to substance abuse and mental health disorders. Many times an individual either refuses to go into treatment or won't stay in treatment long enough to experience the miracle of recovery. Sometimes the individuals may be homeless, living on the streets, and cut off from those that love them. In these situations, the drug and alcohol team can locate the individual, obtain a court order, and get them off the street and into life-saving treatment. When a family needs to regain control over medical and treatment decisions and finances, the drug and alcohol team assists them to get emergency relief from the courts. In September of 2022, Drug and Alcohol Attorneys is opening another office in Boston so more families can be helped and more individuals. My recovery program has given me a lot of gifts, as you know. Like, 
you're, mm-hmm. I always say that slogan that, you know, those darn slogans that like at first I'm like, Ugh, when I came in and now I'm like yeah. loving, yeah. like there's certain yeah. slogans. One of my favorite ones is I came in for my thinking. I stayed, or I came in for my drinking. I stayed for my thinking. So yeah. all the overthinking of, of worrying about what other people were going to think fell mm-hmm. by the wayside. You know, it just really did. Um, you know, it's, it's, I live in a small town and in my town, I'm a fitness trainer and a coach. And I was mm-hmm. like your local spinning instructor. Like if you could picture going right. into your local gym where they have group fitness classes and trainers and somebody in the gym might run like a, a program within that. I ran the local running program. So people that want to do their first 5k and local road race, I was their coach. And right. you know, I'm coming out with this book, admitting all of these things, you know, Yeah. Was, I was just like, I took a huge leap and I have to say, I'm really, really blessed. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think most people would find the same if they did the same thing. Mm. People want to hear our stories. They want to hear hopeful stories. I know I did when I was in the thick of my pain, I wanted to hear that it was going to be okay and that somebody else had experienced something similar and saw the other side of it you know whether it was the morning of a sudden loss of somebody or addiction or going through the mastectomy that i went through and the reconstruction and losing your breast as a woman i mean that's a whole nother podcast it's a whole nother layer whole other book it's a whole nother book (laughs) but i don't want to write that book So um, um, I know for me, when I wrote my book, I didn't realize how much unresolved trauma that I had living inside of me. And I'm very, very grateful that I wrote that book um, for selfish reasons. It wasn't the intention was only for selfless reasons. It was only, like you said, to turn that pain into purpose and to help somebody else. I did not think it was going to be as healing as it was for me. And and offer the opportunity to have candid conversations about something that was so painful that can turn so beautiful almost because there's love and compassion and understanding that comes from having these strong conversations. What was it like when, I I know a lot of people, when somebody is lost by suicide, there's a lot of, we're not going to talk about it. We're not even going to say that's what it was. We're going to say it was cardiac disease, or we're not even going to mention what it was. And there's so much shame surrounding it. So what was it like for you to have those conversations personally? So for me, it's been, it's so weird to say it's been motivating, but it has like the book was a calling card, right? You use that some for, for some authors, like for me to say that, right. Because I'm Mm -hmm. still so new into it. I'm like, I'm an author. (laughs) You are. Some authors (laughs) becomes a calling card. And that's exactly what it was. You know, it's, my favorite thing to do is to do podcasts in particular and go and, and do, a li- I'm dabbling in a little bit of public speaking. And I never would have thought that I'd be having, yeah, I'd be doing podcasts or I'd, I'd be speaking to youth groups or, you know, I like, I pigeonholed myself into this. I thought that most of my conversations would be with women in their forties and fifties. And mm. I'm talking to you know, young persons in high school that have their podcasts that want to talk about mental health. And like, I knew that it was kind of going to go in the direction of mental health. But, you know, unfortunately, this is a subject that knows no boundaries as far as socioeconomic boundaries or 
gender or age or any of that. So it's been super motivating because every time I have a conversation with somebody, I'm learning about their story. They're learning about my story and we're growing. Like, unfortunately, last week, somebody pulled me aside and they said, hey, um, I just read in the paper that somebody died by suicide in such and such area, whatever. And she goes, what took me back was they actually said that in the obituary. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, and I was really grateful that they addressed it because usually they skim over it. You know, you read it and you're just like, they usually say died suddenly or died in their sleep or, you know, they'll give a, a link in lieu of flowers, you know, they'll right. use language like that, but they usually don't outright say it. And, you know, like we were saying in the beginning, it's like when you, when you lose a loved one to suicide or, you know, a drug overdose or, you know, whatever those shameful, you know, stigmatized ways might be, those tragic ways, you're not getting a casserole. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, true. true. Like you said that, it's like your, your neighbor's not usually knocking on the door go, you know, pe- people just don't know what to do. And, yeah. and I think they have every intention of, they want to be there for you, but they just don't know in what capacity. And, you know, I just, I get, I, I cringe when people say, you know, call me if you need something. And I, and I'm not trying to be like judge. I'm just saying, right. I, I, I'm saying it because I learned, I was that person that said, call me if you need something. Now I just do it <laughs> because, right. you know, I gotta show up. You just gotta show up and you don't have to know the right thing to say at right. all. I right. still don't know the right thing to say, but I'm going to do my best to show up for other people because you know, we, we're living in a in in an age right now where, unfortunately, it's the statistics are not getting better. Yeah, you know? yeah. we're a little bit more open the, to the conversations, but it's the statistics are not getting better, and it, and we need to still keep doing the work. Yeah, I also appreciate your um, addressing the fact that you've made the same mistakes, and I think that that is important. I too, um, I think I learned the first time what to say and what not to say was through 9-11. I've always tried to look for a silver lining in every tragic story that has been out there. And um, a very dear friend had lost her dad. And I, at being very close to her, I got asked by so many people, what do I say? Or I don't know what to say. I don't want to call because I don't know what to say. And I learned very quickly that it doesn't matter sometimes because everybody's going to say dumb shit. Let's just be real. Like Mm -hmm. they just don't know any better, right? But I think it's important that it is addressed that you do have to check on your strong friends. You do have to check on the ones that seem to have it all together and always say everything's okay and promote some type of um, toxic positivity because there's nothing that we're ever going, we're never going to get out of this life scot-free without some kind of trauma or tragedy. So to be able to give people an empathetic ear, like, you know, it's okay that you you said call me if you ever need me like that phone is 900 pounds the last thing that when somebody is is suffering and in pain wants to do is reach out and feel like a burden to somebody else so I appreciate you saying that so Valerie I want to definitely segue into um this wonderful you know I'm big on the mental fitness big on the physical fitness I don't I would not be able to function personally without exercise. So I am with you on that. It has been my mental health workout for 28 plus years now um, that I know I have to be outside. 
that I have to be in nature, that I have to work out physically, that meditation is important. So how, how have you come up with this core fitness method and, and why do you think it's important for people to, to learn more about physical and mental being, you know, they're, they're pretty much the same. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, well, when I was coaching, I had the core fitness method and it applied mostly to physical fitness goals. So we took that acronym C-O-R-E and it used to stand for what is your challenge? And people would write down to lose weight, to train for a 5k, whatever it was. And the O stood for obstacles and the obstacles could have been, you know, I've got small kids at home or I have a full-time job or whatever that was. And the R was always their reason, their why, their -hmm. motivating factor. And the E stood for excuses, which were the false truths that we tell ourselves. Right. And, you know, that was, I, I coached that core fitness method for decades. And then um, when I wrote the book and I started, you know, diving more into doing podcasts and now I'm not training as much right now. I have a different job and um, the book's kind of taken over in, in public speaking and a lot of volunteering. And I've been really, really lucky that way. So I started listening to a lot of, I always had, but more so a, a lot of mindset podcasts and getting connected with, you know, a shows like yours and, you know, all of these great, uh, you know, um, shows and authors and, and speakers to, you know, help grow my positive mindset or my skill set. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I sometimes I, I tread lightly on that. People are like, oh, you're always so positive. I'm like, yeah, no, not always. You know, I, mm-hmm. I work at it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, pretend to be happy when I'm not, but, you know, we, we have a skill set, right? So now that core method has turned into more of a mindset method. And the mm-hmm. acronym stands for core being what is your crisis? What are you in right now that's keeping you stuck? O being what is the outcome that you want? And I don't coach necessarily in outcomes. I coach more in the E, which I'll talk about in a minute, because the outcome is going to be what it's going to be. We could right. always do the next right thing and all the right things, but life is what it is. And sometimes we have outcomes we don't necessarily want. Your R still is the reason, your why, your motivating factor. And now the E is your ex- execution. What is your skill set? So we talk about exercise. For me, my tool set, my skill set, exercise is always going to be in there. Like mm-hmm. there's things that I need every single day to stay in a healthy mindset my recovery program, my faith, my family, time in nature, exercise, like those are my skill sets. So when I coach people in the core fitness method and the mindset method now, I coach a lot about what it means to actually work a strong skill set and how changes are small. They become, they're over time and you don't have to do it all at once. Mm, I love that. I think that's so great. Um, I want to, I'm thinking about the audience members out there that might have lost a parent or a child or a sister or a brother. Uh, Valerie, so what, what would you say to those out there that feel lost and, and don't know what to do? What was helpful to you? Finding the right people to reach out to, um, without getting into too many details, because it actually, I don't like talking about it too much because it's just too painful, but honestly, in the beginning, I did reach out to some folks and people said some terrible things and, or just were emotionally not equipped to be there. And for a while there, it made me, it made me withdraw. 
So I would really encourage people to just try their best that if that's happening with you, on to the next one. Maybe it's a support group. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's a new friend. You know, maybe it's somebody that you, you had no idea. Like I never would have thought that I would have been, you know, finding comfort and conversation in this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have, and, and, and I'm a strong believer that God put those people in your life during that season for a reason. And right. some of those people that were in my life at that time, it, it, it unfortunately aren't in my life today because I, I did reach out and I was let down. So if that's happening with you, it's, it's okay. It's, it's nothing reflective on your part at all. They just might not have the emotional intelligence to be that person for you. So relationships are important. So if you're going through something right now that's incredibly painful and you're reaching out and it's being met with barriers, on to the next one. Therapist, support group, a private Facebook group. There's lots of that. Maybe you're, you're inside your house and you're not out there finding that you know friend in a public setting. It's okay, that's fine. There's tons of social media groups that are private that would be appropriate groups for you to join that people can be supportive and they can be there for you. I love those um, additions to resources. There's so many in this day and age. We have podcasts, we have social media. Um, I know that you have a very active social media. So all of the information of how to follow Valerie and to purchase her book, Shattered to the Core, will be in the show notes, but I, I would highly encourage to, to listen, right, to other people. It helps me a tremendous amount. There's so much practical support out there. Valerie and I are lucky enough to have a program that has a design for living. And if only everybody had a design for living, but you could make your own, you know, it doesn't have to be what we do, but there are so many resources out there. And, and I just appreciate your, your, um, it was a decision, right? The decision to be vulnerable and to help other people realize that they are not alone. Absolutely. Yep. So Valerie, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you, Sharon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't forget TMS Advantage is an amazing way to help treat anxiety and depression and beyond. They are effective and it's powered by Neurostar Advanced TMS Therapy. Check them out. Remember, drug and alcohol attorneys specialize in helping families and individuals in crisis due to substance abuse and mental health disorders. Reach out today, 800-227-2000.